Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. This season of PMA Takes on Tech is brought to you by Plenty. Plenty is an indoor vertical farm that sustainably grows produce using less water and land than traditional farming and no pesticides or GMOs. The farm is able to grow peak season, flavorful food year round and deliver fresh produce to its retail partners daily. Plenty's proprietary towers and intelligent platform make it the only vertical farm that can grow multiple crops with consistently superior flavors and yield. Today, we dive deep into genetics and CEA. I talked to Mohamed Ofatol, the newly named Chief Technology Officer at Revel Greens. Revel Greens is a CEA lettuce producer with locations in Minnesota, California, Texas, and Georgia. Their growth goal is to supply greens to the continental U.S. customer within 24 hours of harvest. The company is showing its commitment to breeding and technology by hiring Mo. He brings over 20 years of experience in life sciences and agricultural biotechnology research. He led a broad range of crop improvement applications and multiple R&D programs at both Benson Hill for six years and at Monsanto for 10 years prior. It was great to hear about his commitment to breeding and CEA. A self-proclaimed early CEA skeptic, as Mo learned more about the improvements in cost structure and also the possible gains to be made through breeding, he is now a CEA enthusiast. Let's join the conversation as Mo talks about his background. So tell me about your background and your current role. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a molecular biologist by training. I did a PhD in uh, in Belgium and uh, moved uh, to Washington State University where I did a postdoc there uh, working on on cell biology. Um, And throughout my career, uh, since I joined Monsanto back in uh, 2006, (laughs) um, and later on with Benson Hill, I really had the opportunity to uh, uh, work in roles that span the whole gamut of, uh, of crop improvements, uh, particularly at the genetic side, uh, but also the interaction of the genetics with the environment. And um, and, and within Benson Hill, uh, the, the other layer that also was really fascinating is really add the, the components of the data and uh, um, the, the AI application to understanding really how the genetics uh, interacts with its in, in environments and how the varieties, you know, how do you, how do you pick varieties for a specific environment? Because 
at that time we work, you know, we're working with field crops. And so you have to adapt your crop to the environment rather than the adapt, the adapt the environment to the crop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that was kind of, uh, one, you know, very fascinating angle of, uh, of, of really, I think the improvement really that um, has taken place over the last few years um, in in certain technologies, in the the machine learning approaches and and data uh, analytics uh, really kind of, uh, you know, uh, stepped up uh, the game in terms of how you look at uh, at, at crop improvements. Um, and so, so that those are the ranks that I come from. So uh, I, as opposed to, I guess, many in the industry of uh, the uh, the CEA, um, you know, I'm, I come from a from a genetics rank. So I come from understanding of the variety and all that, and how other components affect it. Um, and I and I do believe that there is a you know substantial importance to, to that um, in, in the field. <laughs> so how did you get interested in CEA? I mean, that's kind of I know both Vincent Hill and Monsanto are are much more row crop oriented. And so how did you kind of make that jump? And what made you interested in it? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating uh, uh, move. I uh, I got exposed deeply to the to the industry. Uh, about uh, maybe two or three years ago, started uh, working as part of the uh, <clears throat> a consortium called. Uh, you, you may be familiar with with it, uh, uh, Precision Indoor Plants. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, I forgot Vincent Hill was part of that. Uh, right. That that is correct. It's it's part of the Foundation for Food and Agriculture uh, that's funded by Congress and it requires matching funds from the industry. So Benson Hill was part of it. So I was uh, representing Benson Hill on the executive committee of the consortium. And, um, and, and really the, the idea is that uh, we as, as the industry, you know, come together to really think about topics that are really far uh, fetching, uh, looking, you know, far down, down the road into what can be possible with the, 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 the new technologies, but also develop new technologies for crop improvements. Uh, and in this case, for, for the, in, within, within PIP, it's, uh, it's really around the, the indoor, you know, growing uh, discovery and, 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 and building of, of the knowledge. And that's really kind of the, the, the fascinating part about it is that you're bringing together you know, uh, he, a, a number of, of technologies um, from a variety of different areas, uh, from a genetic standpoint, from computer vision to, um, you know, the, the the understanding of the biochemistry for, you know, when you're talking about flavor compounds and, and all those things, all the way to robotics and um, um, and, and data uh, data analytics aspect of it, and, and and I think that amalgamation of the different you know technologies and um, uh, just adds uh, you know one one interesting component to it, and and I and I love the fact also that I'm, I mean I was one of the skeptics uh, early on about really how this could work, um, you know, broadly speaking, beyond being just a niche um, 
of in, 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 uh, of of consumers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out to be that the the the, the technologies today are, are allowing actually the the cost to come substantially from the lighting and, and things like that. That. Uh, um, I have a completely different view today than than I had, you know, two or three years ago, and so that's how really I got um, interested into the space. Um, and as I look into it a little further, I think the the, the attractive nature of it it goes beyond um, everything I, I'd imagined it before. Um, you know, here at Revel Greens, um, in, in, in glass houses and on ponds, uh, we're able to, from a sustainability perspective, um, there's, there's no match to it. I think uh, we're, we're estimating 90%, you know, less water, uh, you wow. same crop than you would do in the field, for example. Um, so I, there is no other other growing, you know, in agriculture conditions where you can do that, 90% uh, less water. Uh, not only that, but you can you can set this thing up anywhere. Um, you know, for decades, we've been hearing about, um, um, you know, how arable land is uh, shrinking and uh, it's, uh, it's becoming, you know, very... Uh, uh, problematic, uh, you know, for, from that perspective, but also on, on the climate side of things. And um, but well, you're in California today, as we we're talking about. And, you know, when you I'm sure you've seen all the signs in the Central Valley about the water shortage. And, you know, there's you definitely see that where you are today, that we have to do this with less water. We definitely see that in here. And if, uh, if I uh, drive around and I see, you know, uh, crops that are being irrigated with, you know, lots of, of water is essentially, uh, you know, some of it goes to the crop, a lot gets wasted. Um, and, and so I think that's uh, that's one of the, the huge attractive, you know, aspects of, uh, of the CA. I, I think the other piece also is, is uh, uh, the the maximization of the footprint that you're using, we're seeding, harvesting, you know, every single day of the year, year round. It's not a two season crop. It's not a even a three season crop. You know, it's a, it's it's every single day. So for for whatever footprint you have of the land, you're using it, um, you know, maximally. Um, we, we can grow, we have greenhouses out in Minnesota, you know, we can grow in January where it's, you know, minus 30, minus 40, uh, we can grow in, in, in summer. So there is no limitation to where you can grow. There is no limitation to how, uh, how much you can grow or, or how often. Um, and, um, uh, and, and so, um, I, I think it adds up to the, the attractiveness part of it. Food safety is another aspect that I think um, you know really comes to the forefront as uh, as we hear a lot about the re- food recalls and, and all that. Uh, when it comes to lettuce, for example, a lot of that is is, is essentially irrigation water, at least uh, based on on all indication. Um, 
And uh, you know, because we can control, we can control uh, everything indoor. We control, you know, when we bring in the water, it gets sterilized. There are techniques to sterilize water so that everything that comes in essentially into the pond is um, is tested, is sterilized. It gets tested on a regular basis. Uh, we've tested the crop uh, before it gets out. Um, and so you have as much control as as you, as, as you can. Uh, so you're limiting your risk substantially compared to what uh, you would do in, in the field. That those are really the you know major parts that attracted me to the to the field. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the this the the, the third component, uh, sustainability of uh, safety, and and really the 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 ability to focus on consumer traits. Uh, this is really closer to my heart because I'm a you know crop geneticist and all that. One of the challenges with growing crops in the field is you want to address the challenges of the field that. That means the stresses of the heat, the cold, you know, you name it. And those are the traits in your breeding program you have to prioritize before you start thinking about uh, flavor, uh, taste, uh, aroma, you name it, uh, nutrition in general. And, and sometimes you have to make trade-offs, you know, mm-hmm. you can have one or the other. You can't, you know, you can't have, you know, two or three Um and in these cases, if you don't have the challenges with stresses and you know disease pressure and all the things you face in the field, then you don't have then then you can actually focus on packaging the genetics that is more around the consumer, what consumer really want. <laughs> um, so and- let's talk about that a little bit more. I love that. What do you? what are you focusing on and what kind of tools are you using? I mean, you come with such a great background of, um, of using all different kinds of tools, tools, maybe that may be a little more accepted in some of the commodity crops than they are in produce. Um, but what are you looking at as far as consumer trades? I, I think the, the, the nutrition aspect of it, you know, looking at uh, vitamins, looking at, um, you know, minerals, uh, and then uh, and then there is the, 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 the flavor, the, the, the taste part of it. There are biochemical pathways that you can, you know, look for varieties or, or genetics that, um, you know, has better taste, better flavor. You can bring that into the genetics. Uh, and this is something that I'm trying to map out right now, working with, uh, you know, uh, in, in partnership with, you know, seed companies and all and all that and trying to figure out whether this is something we want to do on our own or do it with somebody else. I think, you know, we're we're big on partnerships. We would rather do it with somebody. How good. Uh, but I think the the industry is a little bit. Uh, right now, not really fully committed, and I'm talking about seed seed industry to the indoor because nobody is really breeding specifically for the indoor. Even those who say they do, they're not doing it really the right way. Uh, uh, nice but do you think you'll end up having to build your own program around that, or um, how are you looking at it? I, I'd rather not. So I think I yeah, think it's a lot of work and a lot of people, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think it's I don't think it is. You know, to be honest, you know, when you think about um, 
today with the technology that exists, um, that you can start a, a breeding program from scratch and bring varieties from seed banks and everything. And within, you know, three, four years, especially in, in crops we're talking about, the leafy greens and all that in three, four, three, three years, you could get a variety out with the wow. characteristics that, 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 that you want. Um, but again, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on, you know, getting the product that my, our consumers want first and hopefully find somebody to work with to do this. Yeah. But if you don't, that is the, it, it, it's definitely on the table for us. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, so I think there's probably a number of people out there that don't know about uh, Revel Greens and kind of what you grow and where you're located and, and uh, that type of thing. So if you could just give us a background on the company, that'd be great. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, Rubber Greens uh, started in 2017 um, on a two acres and a half out in Minnesota, uh, just outside of, uh, of Minneapolis. And, um, you know, some of the co-founders have been doing, working on the CEA for uh, as far as I could, they, they could, they can remember. So I think the the art of, of growing indoor uh, has been really perfected within, within the company before even the company started. And, um, and I think the, 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 the one thing that attracted me to the company too is kind of the, the way they, they, they look at, at things ahead, the way they, um, they are thinking about how to take the company you know, mainstream across the U.S. Um, and what I mean by that, that two acres and a half has grown into 10 in Minnesota. And there is, you know, there is a, a plans for to, to grow more uh, into in, in more acres over the next uh, year or so. Uh, we've got a site now where I'm here in, in, in California, just uh, two hours uh, north of, of L.A., where uh, we are producing and an, an operational on 16 acres um, the the facility has the capacity to grow up to 64 we're uh, about to start in, uh, uh, renovating the, the the next you know 16 acres essentially to get it to 32 and then uh, just a couple of months ago we uh, made an acquisition outside of uh, of Athens uh, Georgia Oh. that's uh, already kind of servicing the uh, the southeast and 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 so that's a, a third site that's going to grow with you know we're, we're thinking about the next year growing uh, expanding it right now it's on a, on a five acre that's uh, it's going to expand to 20 and then 40 later and Texas uh, we're about to start construction we've got the plans already uh, in place for a site uh, that'll start at 20 acres and grow uh, ultimately into uh, 100 acres uh, over time. Um, that's where we're gonna place all, uh, the R&D uh, site and, and uh, the, potentially the headquarters will, will move into that as well. And so those are four locations spread across the country, as you can, as you can tell. 
there is intention to add at least a couple more uh, sites um, in other, you know, places in other places where we're not operational today or we don't have, you know, sales. So really, the with the, the goal is to be um, located such that um, you can reach every single household within yeah. 24 hours from harvest to putting it on a, on a shelf. And that's really the, the kind of, uh, of uh, you know, mindset that really you know, I, I attracted me to, 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 to Rebel Grease is, you know, go big. You know, this is uh, making a healthy, green and uh, sustainable food available to every household is a uh, is is not a you know small feat and, and no not at all yeah. and i think it's interesting from a branding perspective are you you use your own brand right it's um you don't use store brands you use a, a private we actually uh we 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 we're, we do both so mm. you know we do private labels for for some of the of our customers uh but we have our own brand yeah i think it's it's hard as a consumer to go in and kind of figure out the space when I go in and I look at the store and I'm like, where are these from and who grew this? And so I think, and they're so regional. And if you can do that local, but national, um, I think that's a, a really interesting model that, that you have. Um, and what's your funding? How, how are you funded and kind of where are you in that space? Yeah, we're, uh, we are funded primarily through uh, uh, Equilibrium, um, so they, you know, funded a lot of, uh, you know, most of all our greenhouses, uh, um, and funded a lot of the work that has been, you know, going on so far. So from that standpoint, I think we've been lucky really to have them um, yeah. on our side, um, and uh, I think we've got a really good relationship with the. With them, and um, they they really buy into our strategy and of of, of going of going big, but also kind of uh, being differentiated enough. One of the things that also differentiates the company is that we're uh, we're not just focusing on you know the the easy to grow um, kind of uh, baby uh, spring mix or or things like that where. Uh, we're tackling some of the challenges in, you know, spinach, growing spinach, basil, ah. um, you know, kale, um, you know, close to 18, you know, different crops, essentially. Um, and so that's, that's not, it's not easy, you know, growing spinach on, on a hydroponic, um, everybody knows how difficult you know that is and mm -hmm. and we have um i think the the innovation mindset that is also the company has really kind of uh you know sealed the deal for me is is the we've got some um really uh recipes that we're able to grow uh spinach um you know uh, with with no problem, that's actually being kind of about to uh, to be implemented right now. It's been in a, in optimization for for some time. Um, the uh, so being a, I think that's really kind of the, the differentiation. Also, we're, we're offering just a, just a, a a larger spread and and different skews, if you will. 
Yeah. And how do you look, I mean, your, your role is going to be to bring even more new uh, products and differentiation. And so if you, if you said earlier, it might take um, a short period of time, but if you said, if you came in right now and you said, okay, I'm going to develop something that has higher nutrition and better flavor, how long do you think you would, it would take before you could get that to market? I think in three to four years, you, you could get new varieties with, you know, the traits that, that you're looking for. Essentially, what you have to do is you got you to gotta go back to your gene banks. Um, um, some of the, so my experience with Benson Health, for example, um, the soybean is well-known crop, right? Well, if you look at commodity crop, <clears throat> It's lost all the genes that have to do with the protein. The protein has been going down for many, many years uh, because as yields are going up, protein is going down. Um, and um, the genetics that actually drives the level of protein uh, gets lost. So you, you don't find it in many of the, the commercial varieties, <clears throat> you know, outside of, you know, Benson uh, L you know, does have, does have some of those products. Um, but you would find those in some uh, germplasm in, 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 in gene banks that have been put aside because they were not yielding. And so people kind of, you know, put them on the side, but, you know, the technology didn't exist at the time to kind of delineate um, the, the protein from, from yield. And sometimes it's just because, you know, people, didn't look the technology to measure protein every cycle of of uh, of, of crossing just it was was not you know easy to get a hold of or not at least not at a, at a, at a cost effective and so you didn't measure the protein you just measured yield because you can, mm -hmm. you see and so over time if you don't measure it you don't get it right you measure so you measure yield you're getting yield you're losing protein and a very similar thing you can look across every every crop there is a similar trend tomato you go to the old varieties the the heirloom and, and things like that those are that's where the flavor and taste you know still exists uh, the the new varieties they are shiny red you know um beautiful but they don't just nearly as much <clears throat> the genetic is there it's just it's not it's not in 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 the right germplasm today and so you can you can go back you gotta go back essentially bring those back and then you know cross them and and develop if you have a, a, a genetics already commercial genetics today you know, it will be a much shorter time because all you need to do is basically bring those traits uh, from older varieties into your commercial chassis, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you don't, that's not, it's not a deal breaker. I think you can, you can build that genetics um, and, and for small crops, like we talked about for, for the greens, you can do that in a much shorter amount of time. One of the, one of the aspects too with, with these crops, um, you know, these crops have not been developed to begin with, uh, let alone for indoor growth. <laughs> yeah, no, no one has spent the amount of time mapping everything out like they have corn and soy, right? <laughs> exactly. Not a lot of money has, you know, from a research and development standpoint, has gone into it. <laughs> um, and, and so 
the ability to take something from scratch and move it to where you're not just competitive, but, but you know, at least if, if you focus on traits that, you know, people have not focused on, you know, before, uh, such as consumer traits, uh, then I think you have the opportunity to, to, to move the needle on that, um, you know, much faster than you would do in, in a soybean or, or, or corn, for example. And then if you take it to the next step where you think, you know, I'm going to develop it actually for a CA environment, not for the field, then you, you, you can see where you can make, you know, substantial jumps there versus if you, you know, if, you, if you're looking at developing it for the field and having all these other consumer traits that you wanted to develop. And so that's the, um, you know, the, the, really the beauty of it. So there are those in the industry who think that genetics don't matter and that it's all environment. So in the genetics by environment equation that um, an indoor environment is everything and genetics don't matter at all. Um, I disagree with that, but <laughs> I, and it sounds like you kind of do too, but how do you, um, how far can we push, let me ask a different way. How much do we know about the environment and how far we've kind of pushed these crops from an environmental point of view and a, a lighting and a, um, and a water and all the other, all the other things we can make a recipe out of before we go to genetics um, or should we do genetics first environment second, or kind of, how do you look at it as, as you look at that equation? I think all those things really, you know, add value. Um, and, and uh, ultimately you want all those elements to come together, but I am uh, totally, on the side of genetics has to be at the heart of it. <laughs> you know, the, the light, everything, the environment, the lighting, everything you want um, is essential, but you gotta start from, from the genetics because there's only so much you can push the genetics through, you know, artificial lighting and, uh, you know, controlling, the heck out of temperature and, and, and everything of, and, and the, the, the environment around it, nutrition and all that. But if it, that, if it's not in the genetics, it's not in the genetics. That's, that's just as simple as that. Um, you can't develop a pathway that doesn't exist by using a different light necessarily. Right. <laughs> you got it. And, and I, I think the example that I provided earlier <laughs> When you take a variety, you know, which is the case today, a lot of, you know, almost that's everything that's been developed today in this space, been developed for the field. What you're trying to do for in the field you, you know, as a breeder, you're going to prioritize the things that are going to make your crop survive first. It's got to survive. If it, if it tastes good and all that, it does survive, it doesn't matter, right? And so if you prioritize that, you prioritize, you know, the, the, the disease uh, genetics and all that, what you're doing, you're compromising, you're not actually moving, you know, other things that have to do with, with, with everything that has uh, consumer uh, needs, essentially, from a nutrition to, to taste and, and, and everything. Um, so that, that's, that's number one. <clears throat> and so what, what people 
you know, need to realize is there's a, a concept in breeding that's called um, linkage, linkage drug. Mm-hmm. That means if I'm taking, sometimes you may wanna, you, you absolutely have to have this disease, you know, QTL or, or gene. Um, and if you have that, you have something attached to it that is either has to do either with it or like, you know, not, not a, a, a good taste, maybe an off flavor type of, of compound or, uh, you know, drag yield drug, you know, it's, a, it, it's slowing down the yield or something like that. And so if you take one, you're not getting, A, you're not getting B, period. Um, especially if they are very close on, on your, you know, chromosomes. <clears throat> And, and so in, in, in a case where I don't have to worry about that specific disease because it's a field disease, doesn't happen in greenhouse or, you know, stress, I'm going to pro- pro- prioritize B. I'm not getting A, but I don't want it. I don't need it. That's the, uh, <clears throat> uh, that, that's, that's really, I think, how I, you know, hopefully that paints the picture of the importance of of genetics what you can do with genetics to drive um you know whether it's it field maximize your footprint on on uh, on on your on your uh, uh system whether it's a it's a pond or uh you know vertical or um and all and all the way to other traits that are important to you know to, to consumers mm-hmm well, my last question, just kind of broadening out a little bit. Um, so stepping back from CEA specific, you've been working in ag tech, um, as have I, before it was even called ag tech. <laughs> and you were at Monsanto, as we talked about, and Vincent Hill. So just looking across your career kind of to date, what technologies have progressed faster than you expected and which ones haven't? And within breeding and outside breeding as well, and, and what do you feel like is still missing? Yeah, I think some of the technologies that have, you know, moved really fast. Um, the uh, the genome editing is definitely something that, you know, just five, you know, maybe five, eight years ago, you, know, you barely hear about it. And it's like one of those things that is like way out there, you know, this no way this is going to work in in a foreseeable future. And all of a sudden now you got so many companies and startups around it. um, And it's, uh, it's making, you know, tremendous progress on, um, on the healthcare side of things Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, um, some of the trials on on a variety of different diseases and, and things like that. And, and in crops, it's a it's also a technology that is likely to make you know significant um, improvement to to the quality and, and taste of, of the crops. I think one of one of the things I just mentioned earlier on on the and the, the linkage, genetic linkage, when you got a bad gene linked to closer to a, a good one and yeah, if you do that through breeding, you're not going to be able. It's you take you're taking the whole package. Um, you're not you're not going to take one or you know, and and leave the other. 
but through genome editing, you can. <laughs> you can actually- Do you see a place for um, genome editing in produce? There's, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are starting to look at it or, cons- or retailers are afraid of it. And how do you think that's going to play out in, in the markets that you're working in now and the use of genome editing? You know, I think that's uh, it's it's a question that you know it's yet to be uh, figured out. I I think I think it's gonna come down to consumer you know perception and all that. Um, and um, uh, at the at the end of the day, consumer is you know customer is king, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but my my feeling is that. I think the technology in the past has been used in ways that really didn't benefit the consumer. Uh, technologies in, in ag, you know, with this biotech or, and people, you know, didn't see the, the purpose of it, but, you know, the hope is that if you're now using a technology that can actually, you know, uh, bring back, you know, the nutrition into our food and bring back the taste and, and, and flavor, could that change the minds? And honestly, that's a that's a question to be uh, to, that's something to be seen as as we go forward. But what I what I do know is that it's it's definitely going to make a, a significant difference in in our you know food system if the technology is able to uh, you know to get past the hurdles of uh, of perception. Um, and so we'll see. Right now, I think uh, I think there's a lot to be done through breeding uh, by itself. Just to get again, because you know some of these crops really still have um, you know a lot of uh, of the genetics that's sitting in, in shelves in, in gene banks that haven't hasn't been used or you know put away because they didn't yield well in the field. And but if you go back to it and 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 brain, you, you can you can definitely. Uh, make significant change, changes there uh, with or without genome editing. But I do think that genome editing can speed up that process and and uh, and get, you know, some, you know, some of the traits might, it might be the only answer to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about any technologies that you thought at one point, boy, this is going to really make a difference. And then they didn't really work out anything over your career like that, that you've seen? You know, I don't know that there is a technology that really didn't, you know, think people can argue whether, you know, GMO uh, did or didn't. Uh, you know, clearly, yeah, all I can say about that is, you know, the, when you look at corn and, and, and soybean, uh, you know, 80, 80, 90 to 90% is GMO in the US today. What does that tell you? I'll tell yeah. you that. The farmer, farmer does like the technology. It works for them. It doesn't work for the consumer because they don't see the prices really coming down. You wouldn't know if we didn't have that. Maybe the prices would be you know like astronomical today. But you would know. You don't have a control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's one. And 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 outside of that, as a consumer, I'm not getting any any. You know, does it, does it taste better now? Does it so? Because the, again, the focus was on the farm. It's farm productivity. It was. It wasn't on the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so you know, there is you know, definitely huge successes in in that in that space. Um, that unfortunately, the you know, the the perception uh, didn't. Uh, 
didn't go along. And, and that's fine. I think sometimes, you know, uh, that's, that's how life goes. You know, technologies uh, come and go. But I don't know that there is a technology that, you know, came and, you know, completely failed. I, th- I think every single thing, every time you, you there's a, a stepping stone at everything, what is really, really cool now is, is the ability to put all that, you know, thing together and, um, you know, from a data aspect, to genetics, to uh, physiology, to uh, computer vision, and bringing that together um, in, in a way that um, you can analyze it live, you can look at it back over time, or, you know, even, you know, prediction in the future, around your harvest, around your timing uh, of the year um, and, and things like that is just is just really fascinating. Yeah, there's just so many tools that we can use now um, that are, are pretty amazing and, and how they're going together, you know, and I think sometimes it's like a circle when I look at some of the technologies I've worked on. I, I worked in biocontrols the early part of my career and they didn't work very well. Like I, I can see why people didn't adopt them because they didn't work very well, but now for lots of reasons, you know, we have better ways of testing them. We have better ways of applying them, you know, through precision application. So it's, it now it's, you know, I think it's biocontrols time, you know, and I think some of the technologies, that's just kind of how they go, you know, is it's, it's a, a circle and you have to develop other things around it. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting, I think, with genome editing, where consumers have competing interests. You know, we have to adapt to climate change. We have to, you know, we have to use less water. We have to have less food waste. You know, there's a lot of a lot of consumer interests that kind of compete with. I don't want to use that technology. And so I think, you know, you'll be in a good position. We'll have to talk in five years, you know, to see like what you were, what you decided with for your company makes sense. Cause you have all these competing interests of consumers and, you know, it, genome editing might be the way, best way to solve that. And consumers may embrace that, you know, we'll just have to see where that goes. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been a great conversation and I look forward to watching your career and what you do and uh, make an impact on CEA. So thank you. That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time.